Welcome to the Control Alt Azure podcast. I'm Yusip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for our journey in the cloud. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Azure. I am back and I'm here again with Yusi. What's up? Hello, hello again. Uh, life is good. We are closing the end of 2019. And probably top of mind for me is that I am slowly but surely settling in my new role at Microsoft. So I joined Microsoft exactly five days ago. And, and I'm able to open my email now, and I've got a bunch of meetings in my calendar. So it seems that I'm, I'm settling in quite nicely. <laughs> How about you? Uh, that sounds nice. Um, so I am actually, as of this recording, I am on holiday. So I just went on my Christmas vacation and looking forward to actually spend some time with the family and dinners and all that comes with it. But also, I've managed to to block some time to do a couple of my spare time projects, which is pretty large scale processing of data in in Azure. So I'm hoping I get to fiddle a bit with that and and see what the outcome is after New Year's. So I really appreciate you taking the time to record this on your holiday. I hope the audience will will kind of hear through your holiday mode already. (laughs) Yeah, no, no worries. This is I mean, this is all fun. So today's episode, we thought we were going to talk about Security Center. Yes, Azure Security Center. And uh, we were planning on talking about the essentials on, on what the service is, what do you need to know about it, and what's relevant, and how do you actually get started with Azure Security Center. So if you had to introduce the service ASC, Azure Security Center, briefly, how would you describe it? So for me, it's, it's a, I would say, a main or a crucial component in anyone hosting anything in, in the Azure cloud where you get a central viewpoint of any security issues or recommendations going on. So for me, it's like a dashboard to stay on top of things, whether you deploy web apps or functions or virtual machines or set up networks, whatever you do, Security Center is, for me, a way to kind of visualize what you have and and give you a dashboard of insights into configuration changes you may have missed or recommendations that comes out. Um, And a benefit with using it is it constantly changes, like the threat landscape constantly changes, the capabilities in the services constantly change. And when they do, the security center is staying on top of that. So you don't have to know every intricate detail about everything, but the security center will send you an alert, say, you know what, there's a new recommendation coming out. For your VMs, you should do this or enable that service or disable this service uh, or configure your network security groups in a, in a more restrictive way. Um, so for me, um, it's, it's a great way to stay on top of, you know, the, the posture of my Azure subscriptions. Um, and the benefit, of course, is you can have multiple subscriptions rolled up into the security center. So what about for you? What's the, like if a napkin presentation, what would that be of? Security Center. For me, the Security Center, it's akin to what Azure Monitor is for seeing what's happening in my subscription, but this is for security-related things. So there's an awful lot of functionality in there. 
but you get started really easily when you simply say, I would like to use Azure Security Center and you select the subscriptions you want to monitor and, and that's it. And it makes it really easy for non-security professionals to get a hold of their security posture in Azure, but it also extends to on-prem as well. So if you have virtual machines in on-prem, you can also manage those through Azure Security Center. Yeah. And so one thing I, I see that whenever I have a new subscription or whenever I've got a new directory I'm working in and I go to the security center, there's a, a couple of things checked automatically, always as a baseline. But then there's a standard tier or an upgrade tier from the, from the free tier that gives you additional insights and additional checks. Um, does that come with an additional cost? Yes. So the, the base edition, the base version of Azure Security Center is free. It doesn't cost you anything. And once you have Security Center up and running, meaning, meaning you've clicked the service at least once in Azure Portal, you can click on pricing and settings. And that allows you to set the pricing tier for your subscriptions. So yeah. there's, there's the free tier and then there's the standard, the standard tier. And you can also apply the paid standard tier partially. So it, it, it won't automatically take hold of everything you have in a subscription. And then at the end of the month, it would tell you that, okay, your cost is 2000 euro. Thanks for using us. Yeah. And, and so what I like is also exactly what you say here. You have partial coverage, so you can enable specific features. If you have a lot of VMs, you can enable security center standard tier for just VMs if you want. And, and also that you don't have to enable it for an entire subscription. In my case, I manage quite a few subscriptions and I want to stay on top of everything that goes on in them. But in a few of them, I know that it's not important because maybe it's a dev one, maybe it's, you know, pay as you go developer subscriptions that I, I throw away after 90 days, then I don't really care. Then I don't enable anything on there, but then I can fully enable an entire subscription or drill down and say inside of this, even if it's dev, I still want to monitor my networks and my web apps and storage accounts because that's important to me. Um, so I really like that. Can you so kind of estimate the cost? So if, if I have five subscriptions and I have a, load of resources across them. Can I kind of get a, like with the Azure pricing calculator, I know we talked about that in a different episode. Can you kind of get a, a fingertip filling for what the total cost would be? That's, that's the hard part. Uh, so I've, I've worked with a couple of customers recently and, and we enabled Security Center at the free tier first, uh, but there was some functionality we felt that, that we definitely need in one of the subscriptions. And once you in, enable that, then you get to choose which nodes. So a node could be an Azure SQL database. It could be a virtual machine. It could be an app service. So you get to decide and choose which nodes you're actually ramping up for Azure Security Center, uh, the standard tier. And there's no estimation. It gives you per node price. And I recall it was about 15 euro per node. And, and we were ramping up on just-in-time virtual machine access. And, and we discussed this uh, on the episode with Tiago Costa uh, when we talked about the remote access uh, for virtual machines. So for this customer, I enabled standard tier for one subscription. 
they had about 30 VMs. And then we ramped up uh, five VMs. And that way I knew five times 15 euro. And I would know it's less than 100 euro a month plus some, some uh, additional cost depending on how I use those. But that, those costs are, are minuscule. Yep. But the challenge is that once you start ramping it up, there's no way for you to know before you actually see the list of the nodes, the services that, that you will connect with Azure Security Center, what the cost will be. Right. So it's, it's good to just be aware of that. You don't just go ticking, enable this in an enterprise directory and, and across all your subscriptions without actually knowing what you have inside of them. Yeah. And we actually had, had the problem then with, with this said customer is that once, once we'd enabled the standard tier, uh, the customer would call me maybe two months later and say, okay, so we are seeing this sort of cost. Is this what we planned for? And there's no reporting. So once you go back to Azure Security Center and you click on those nodes, it will say, okay, I'm, I'm watching after these five uh, VMs, but three of those VMs were shut down. So there were no costs for those because nothing is happening. Uh, and then again, I had to deduct in my head. So now it's three times 15 euro and optionally two times 15 on top of that per month, depending if we power on those VMs. So with Security Center can come a cost. And if we decide that this is for me, I want to use it. There's a couple of beneficial features that I particularly like. And one is the policy and compliance where you can get uh, you get a, a pretty good overview of how well your resources in the cloud comply with specific standards. And there's different standards we, we, can, we can take a look at, but ISO 27001, PCI DSS, Azure CIS, all of these like, commonly used standards, you get automated checks for that. Because a lot of the times, if you're a vendor, like we're a software vendor and, and customers will ask us, when you operate things in the cloud, are you compliant with this or that policy or with this or that uh, compliance guidelines? And it's very difficult to answer that if you don't have a 100% documented system, which fortunately we do have. And with the Azure Security Center, we get a little bit more of that. So I can drill in and go to the policy section um, and, and compliance and say, you know, what is my regulatory compliance? And it will give you a checklist saying you're green on all of these areas, but on this area with virtual networks or with your web app, you're missing this key functionality that you need to have enabled if you want to comply with ISO 27001. So it, of course, even if everything is green, you don't, be, you don't become certified for the ISO standard. It's just that the checks will comply. So if you are going to target an ISO certification and everything here comes out green, then at least you know you don't have any blockers on this side. So that's one of my absolute favorite uh, features that I actually do use a lot. I'm looking at one of my subscriptions and I click on regulatory compliance. It shows me these four standards for compliance status. None of them are green. The Azure CIS 1.1.0, which I have no idea what it means, probably a lot of policies that I need to conform to. It says, 11 of the 22 controls were passed, which means that I still have 11 left that I would need to work on. 
So this reminds me of a compliance manager that we have as part of Office 365. And that became available when uh, GDPR was that in 2018 May, when GDPR kicked in for the EU area. And that, that's when we got compliance manager. And now looking at Security Center, we have the regulatory compliance, but this doesn't include GDPR itself, if I'm correct. Yeah, um, and, and this is, yeah, I think it, it's a fair comparison between what you have in 365 and what you have here. What I do like, uh, like you mentioned the story with GDPR and a lot of things changed in the mindset of a lot of people when this uh, was introduced. And one thing I particularly like with regu uh, regulatory compliance now is you can actually, and this is still in preview, but you can actually add your own uh, regulatory compliance checks now. So you can um, kind of integrate deeper checks that more fits your structure or how you work or whatever you need to, to comply with. Um, and I think that's pretty cool. And one thing I've also noted is Security Center just keeps adding new things. So a while back they added, um, I think they announced at Ignite, uh, the conference, that they were adding support for NIST, which is an additional uh, compliance protocol that you can follow. And this also can be integrated now into Security Center. And this is one of the benefits that I, I keep seeing where I don't have to stay on top of all of these frameworks and whether it's GDPR, whether it's NIST or PCI or ISO or you know whatever it is, doesn't matter if I can get those checks automated for me. I haven't come all the way, but I've come a long way in understanding my, my posture. So, when you mention 365, um, there's another thing that I also resemble from working a lot with Office 365, and that's the secure score. There's yep. a secure score coming from Azure Security Center, and there's a secure score in Office 365. Um, what would you say if you have a napkin presentation of secure score? Why would I need it, and what is it? The, the whole point with Secure Score is to give you one clear indicator on what's my security posture, what's my status in terms of security for everything I have in the clouds. And on Azure Security Center, Security Score gives you this index number. And for me, it's typically between 400 and 500 out of a total of about 715. And based on that, I can then decide, do I want to invest more time to secure my assets, meaning my VMs, my databases, my VNets, my data, whatever I have in the cloud? Or am I confident enough that this level of security is, is good enough for our needs and the requirements and the regulatory compliance requirements that, that my industry might have? And if I go to... Microsoft Secure Score, that takes into consideration everything I have in Microsoft 365. So that also includes Office 365. And both of these have an API. So you can talk with the Secure Score API, pull those index numbers, those results, and then perhaps use those in, in a report. Let's say you need to do a monthly report on this is our status. This is what it was a month ago. This is what it is now. I can pull those numbers and it also gives me recommendations that perhaps you should be working on this and this and this. What I typically get is that if I provision a new web app 
and I don't enable a custom SSL certificate, then Security Center will tell me that perhaps you'd like to enable HTTPS for this web application. If you do, the impact on your secure score will be 10 points plus. So when you mention the APIs, do you know if you can pull out all the details also? Because it might contain quite sensitive data, right? Or do, yeah. you, all, do you only get like the metrics saying your score is 340 out of 370? Or can you also get every single check saying that this VM has no firewall enabled? And can you get that through the API? That's a great question. Uh, next question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have no idea because I've been meaning to build something around the API. I, I had a super quick look at the API when they announced that. And I was like, this is so cool. I need to work on this. But then life happened, everything else happened. And I'm like, yeah, it's still in my to-do list to actually check it. Have you right. had a chance to work with the API? No, I didn't. I, I was hoping you did. So that's why I asked the question. Uh, <laughs> but so tell you what, before we publish this episode, we'll do a bit of research and we'll put the links in the show notes for, for the capabilities of the API. Yeah, and it's probably good to mention here that the, when we have these sort of ideas that, oh, there's an API, I need to look into it. Uh, my approach to something like this is to build something quickly, like a prototype. I might use PowerShell, I might build an Azure function, just something quickly to see that I can connect with the API and what sort of data can I pull back? And based on this, I start leveraging the different services in Azure. It might be let's, uh, that I would use logic apps to execute something that pulls the score, and then I push that score to uh, perhaps Azure, Azure table storage. And then I have a Power BI dashboard that simply tells me, this is your secure score now. Yeah, and I like that idea to to fiddle around. I use .NET Core a lot, and same thing there when I work with the APIs. I've got my my set of base frameworks I do to super easily connect to any type of API in Azure. So if there's a new one in Secure Score, I hook it up, I get the data, usually raw JSON replies, and then I can work with it. And like you mentioned, you throw it into a table in, in Azure Storage or expose it some somehow so you can play around with it from, from different tools. Um, One of the uh, interesting things that occurred to me, and this was during ESPC, the European SharePoint Office 365 and Azure conference in Prague. Uh, that was in early December 2019. And I was manning the Ask the Experts uh, during the expo hours. And, and one of the uh, expo booths I was manning was Ask Me Anything. And that was more heavily on Azure, but I was happy to field any questions on Office 365 or on-prem. So I maybe tweaked the, uh, the signage a bit and said, ask me almost anything. <laughs> and um, one of the questions somebody asked me there uh, was that, if they are using Azure MFA, multi-factor authentication, meaning the cloud-based service in Azure for performing two-factor authentication, their users would be using the Microsoft Authenticator in the mobile phones. Hmm. Uh, are they still GDPR compliant if they are in a EU tenant, but they get the, the verification phone call from a US-based number? And I went to Azure Security Center to see if it's there, but it didn't reveal that 
that sort of details to me. It, it does tell me that, yeah, you should enable MFA. You need to grant access on this and this and this, but it doesn't give you the reports on how the data is flowing back and forth. So I found a link, a documentation stating what data will be transferred and it is GDPR compliant. But often what people want to know is how, what sort of a report and is it available on a domain address that ends in Microsoft.com because we need to get this in writing to convince somebody else. So even with Azure Security Center, you often need to resort to finding different reports, different guidance to understand how things really work. And ASC is more about the tool, how to enable those settings. Yeah, that's, you, know, you, you kind of got me there with the question, is it GDPR compliant? And I started thinking, is it really? And, you know, that question can apply to so many things. Um, yeah, and, and, and often these sort of questions, they're, they're quite loaded. And, and I don't mean to say this in, in a negative way, but more that you might have somebody who spent weeks and months working with their cloud implementation project. And one of the things would be that is MFA GDPR compliant? They have internal meetings, they have calls, they have plans and designs, and they cannot really get, they cannot really get to the bottom of it. And those persons might then show up at the expo, find somebody like me and ask, so how is it? Is it this or this? And you already know when you're getting the question, you know that it's not a black and white question. There's always different viewpoints. There's always a frame that you are not getting in those 20 seconds that you actually have the time for. And then what I do is I, I say, ping me over Twitter, email, Teams, whatever medium, and provide me a bit more details, not any security details, but more like what are you trying to do and what sort of information would you need? And then I can spend more time and actually try and figure out what you're trying to achieve and is it possible or not? Yeah, that makes sense. So another thing that I got to thinking about is because we mentioned before, like what's the, what is the Curious Center for you? Um, one thing that I also got to think about is like when you get recommendations in Security Center, it's not always you need to do this and you need to do that in order to stay compliant or in order to you know, fix any potential threats. But there's also a feature called Quick Fix. And this is a way to automatically uh, mitigate any configuration tweaks you have to do, which is kind of cool. So one example is if you're in the Security Center and go to Resource Security Hygiene, or get a recommendation or a list of all the things you need to take a look at. You might not have to implement them, but you might need to take a look at it. And for example, when I look at mine, it says function app should be accessible over HTTPS only. Um, and if I fix that, I will get 13 points in my secure score. So that's great, you know? And it has a big blue button saying quick fix. So if I click that, instead of going to all my resources and trying to configure everything myself manually, I can now click quick fix and it's gonna list me the affected resources and I can click all of them and then I can click remedi remediate. And what's gonna happen then is it's gonna tell you, here's what's gonna happen right now. If you agree, click here to remediate these two resources or how many that you just did. So that's something that came on, on top of my mind 
because a lot of the time when we have these discussions, which you kind of trigger with this GDPR question is the the discussions can be complex and you can have a lot of big projects and a lot of resources out there. And what if you got security center to tell you that you have 60 resources that needs to enable HTTPS and you know that you can do that. Or if you have 200 storage accounts that does not enforce SSL, which you need to do, then you don't want to go to each and every one of those. You want to just tick a button and that's exactly what you can do. So when you want to manage multiple resources or even if it's only one, you can tick a button to uh, have it automatically fixed, which is something that I really like. So that's also a, a tip from the top of my head. It's super useful, definitely for people who might not have a full-time uh, chief security officer working and, and, and checking through all of these things and really understanding how they affect everything. So Microsoft is often great in building these sort of dashboards and bringing the complex topics there, but simply giving you a button, click here to fix it, and I'm done. I don't need to take a day aside and really learn everything before I know I can click on this. And I can trust that whatever it does, it will become more secure. Obviously, I have to understand what the change is going to be. So if I have a web app and it says, yeah, perhaps you should enable HTTPS, uh, I need to understand if there's any sort of integrations to the website that do not support HTTPS. Yeah. So what? So whatever I do, I need to be responsible when I click, uh, when I fix things quickly. But at the same time, I don't need to spend two hours on each item to fix them. I can click through them and be done with it. Yeah, and I that you touched on a very good point there, and I think that is a crucial thing with with anything you do especially in the cloud when everything is so easy, just because there is a button for it doesn't mean you should push it, even though, you know, if there's a button, you really want to push it. Um, and, and the same thing goes here. You need to understand the implications of clicking that, if, especially if you have an enterprise subscription, you have 50,000 users and you have a bunch of resources spread out, you know, globally distributed. And if you get a quick fix for fixing 500 of your resources, you need to understand if that will have any implications. Security Center may not tell you that it will have any implications on the way you have things set up or the way your code communicates or if you have other things communicating with your web apps. Because an example of that is Security Center will say, you should add access restrictions so nobody can call your web apps, right? Unless you uh, put up a firewall and you only enable it this way. But if you don't have a firewall and you don't have a gateway and, and you only have the actual web app and you enable access restrictions, nobody can access it. Right? So it kind of goes offline, if you will, for the rest of the world. So clicking quick fix or adding something quickly without understanding the, the impact of that can also be pretty dangerous in, in terms of you know, uptime and resource reliability. So I would always say make an educated click. You know, yep. The fact that you can, you can select 100 resources and out to fix, it's great if you know what that does. But if it's something you've never done or if you don't understand what will be changed and you don't understand or don't know maybe all the components that are calling your resources or how they integrate with the rest of the company, that might be a good thing to think about. Um, for my dev subscriptions, you know, it doesn't matter. I tick everything and I do it and I see what happens. Uh, and sometimes I export the JSON of my resources before it happens. And then I auto fix and then I export the JSON of my resources again. And then I can compare and I can see exactly what this quick fix button actually did. 
So that's also something that I usually want to want to do when I want to figure out what is this button going to do for me that I cannot do myself. And then I can learn kind of what they do underneath. Oh yeah. So you're really diving deep into what the changes are because what I see is when I click on quick fix, it actually takes me to a new page and says, okay, this is what we're planning on doing. So we recommend you do this, this, and this, and this is what this button will achieve for you. And mm-hmm. for perhaps for technical people, but not super security minded people, that's often enough to understand what's happening in there. Yeah. And so that's enough for me most of the time as well. I just want to know, you know, I have this urge for learning about what they're doing. When I click this button for five of my web apps or for a hundred of my storage account, what will be changed? And I can then see in the JSON what will be changed. And the reason I want to learn that is because I deploy a lot of things to the cloud from templates and from code. And if I now learned what was actually changed in the JSON or in the, in the underlying resource, I know that already in my templates, I can fix it. So yep. next time I deploy the resource, I will not get a secure score flag or a recommendation saying you should enable or disable or configure it this way because I've already done that then. So it's a, that's just a way for me to learn from a technical perspective. Oh yeah. So some of the features besides secure score and, and watching after your assets, your nodes, your services in Azure, uh, we mentioned just in time VM access a couple of times in, in previous episodes. The other one that I find interesting, I'm not using it enough though, is file integrity monitoring, meaning that your Linux and Windows boxes, you can apply automatic monitoring to see if anybody fiddles with any critical system files. And based on that, uh, you can then get an, an alert that, okay, somebody went in and modified your boot.ini file. Perhaps you should have a look at that. Right, so it's, it's looking into your VMs or it's looking into different types of resources or what is it it's, kind of monitoring? It's, it's looking in your VMs. Uh, so it supports Windows files in a VM, Linux files in a Linux VM, and also the registry. So it can go to registry to figure out, did somebody fiddle with something? And you can add your own or you can just accept the default ones it's suggesting for you. Oh, very nice. Yep. So how, how does that compare with, you can have like anti-malware or antivirus kind of things deployed to your VMs as well. Is there a difference to, to this or it's just like a kind of an outside check looking in uh, while the, the antivirus components are inside of the VM already? The, the anti-malware um, often or always recommended when you spin up a new VM and they do quite a bit more, but this is more of a centralized go through all VMs I have and I'm interested in any changes to these files. And while the malware is more about who's running shady PowerShell scripts, and definitely if you um, enable something like Windows Defender ATP, which then traps those in real time and gives you yet another portal in real time, you can combine all of these solutions. And that's typically what you do in security. You have multiple solutions and no one solution uh, makes everything for you. So you need to combine them cleverly and then figure out what do you want to do with the data, perhaps feed it to Azure Sentinel or a different solution. And from there, you make your educated decisions based on the data you're getting. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So 
Another thing that's on top of my mind that usually comes when I do some security audits and security re reviews, um, depending on the scope of that, sometimes people also ask, I, I want to understand how identities are configured. I want to, un I want to know about identity governance. What is, what is identity governance? And can I use Security Center for anything related to that? In Security Center, you can um, manage your identities and access. But as, as mentioned before, that's more towards, do I have MFA enabled? Do I have logging in Key Vaults enabled? Yeah, and you should have at least two owners to the subscription not to lose access and, and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, so that's kind of the baseline security. And then when you want to understand more about identity, then you need to hop to Azure Active Directory. And in Azure AD, one of the new features is the identity governance. And when you go there, it allows you to configure entitlement management. And that's part of the Azure AD P2 license related features. And it allows you to have this sort of federated trust between tenants instead of individually inviting external users to your Teams or SharePoint sites, you can create access packages and say anybody coming from this tenant, meaning this domain or this tenant specifically, will get access to this, this, and this package. And I want approval on this package. And once the users enable those packages, they will then get granted automatic access to resources outside their own home tenant without somebody manually always doing that and you can have that access expire automatically as well. So that's the bigger portion of identity governance. So if you want to get this full 360 view on identity, you need to understand identity and access in security center, identities in Azure AD, and identity governance in Azure AD, which is part of the P2 license. Yeah, and you also have something called Azure AD Identity Secure Score, right? which kind of relates to what we just talked about, Secure Score in the Security Center and Microsoft Secure Score. But this is then purely a Secure Score for identities to, again, get a dashboard to learn about things you might uh, need, need to uh, leverage to stay on top of things, right? Yeah, so there's plenty of scores. And it's not uncommon to see uh, admins build their own dashboards. So if you use Power BI, you can connect automatically with Azure AD and Security Center, and there's predefined dashboards that then allow you to drill down in, uh, to all the different scores, all the different alerts that you're getting, and perhaps react from there. Or if you have a uh, separate IT security room, then you would have a huge TV on the wall, and it would simply say or show you all the relevant data from all of your tenants without you needing to manually go through all the views, all the settings, all the dashboards. Yeah, makes sense. So one thing that comes up a lot is, I use Security Center a lot, but I also use something else called Azure Advisor. And both of them kind of give me advice on what I need to do. And Azure Advisor also have security. So with Azure Advisor, I believe you get performance, availability, security, and, and other things. And what is the main difference between Azure Security Center and Azure Advisor, or are they working together? Like, why do I have 
an advisor with a security component in it when I have security center. They work together in, in tandem. So Azure Advisor typically gives you this sort of pop-up uh, when you log in to Azure Portal as an admin and says, okay, this is what you need to do next. And one of the topics in Azure Advisor is security, and that's pulled from Azure Security Center. But the other things that Azure Advisor typically gives you is also cost management. So it detects uh, billing issues or if you have something causing extra utilization. And also it gives you recommendation and guidance on things like high availability and disaster recovery. Uh, I have maybe five or six different Azure subscriptions that I use on a weekly basis. And when I log in in any of those, I get the pop-up from Azure Advisor. And there's always like five or seven recommendations. And I'm often too busy to actually start working through them. So I just dismiss that and promise myself to get back on those later on. So depending, if you work on dev and test subscriptions, it's not that critical. But for production environments, anything that Azure Advisor is giving you, you need to react. You need to at least have a look at it and then figure out if that's something you need to work on. Yeah. Yeah, that's great tips. And, and I also really, really like the alert capabilities of all of these type of resources, the Azure Monitor, uh, the Azure Advisor, Security Center, where I don't actually need to, because one thing that we revisit all the time is, then you can see this from the dashboard, and then you can see that from the dashboard. But if I don't have time, or if I want to kind of get reminded of going to take a look at the dashboard, I can also set up these alerts, uh, which also exist in, in the advisor I know. So you can set up monitoring alerts. So when something happens or something changes, and the same thing in, in Azure Security Center, when there's new recommendations available, you can get an alert saying, you know what, there's a couple of resources affected, you should go take a look at them and you should enable this recommendation or this policy to ensure that you stay on top of things. So one thing, one side of it is seeing all of these things in the dashboards, in the portal, but the other thing is you can get this delivered as alerts also. And, and that's a capability I use pretty much all the time. And I really like that. And one of the services we haven't mentioned yet is Azure AD Identity Protection, which is yet another separately licensed service. And, and that also pulls data from ASC. And if I look in one of my tenants, what the recommendations I'm getting to identity protection. So identity protection will dynamically protect my identities if it's detecting uh, weird looking signing attempts to my tenants, I can apply different sort of uh, risk policies on top of this. But it also reveals the identity um, security score. And if I look at those recommendations, uh, it simply says, or, or the topmost impact from all the recommendations is to turn on sign-in risk policy. Mm. That would give me 30 points more, even though user impact is moderate. So at times users might not be able to log in because they're logging in from an unknown IP address, for example, or from a new device and an unknown IP address with impossible travel. Perhaps they open VPN first. And that way the implementation cost is also given and it would be moderate, meaning that it's a simple click of the button, 
But at the same time, I need to educate my users that this is what's going to happen in the future. And this is how you need to react then. And I, I really like that um, capability to see the score impact. And just what you mentioned with moderate or high or low impact is also a kind of an indicator uh, because there's the implementation cost impact and there's the user impact where the, the user impact then uh, is like you say, can the user not sign in anymore? That might be a high impact. Um, or if you enable multi-factor authentication, that can be a high impact. But then also the implementation cost, I really like to understand this before I actually take action on something, understand that the implementation cost here will be high because you know, getting every user on board with multi-factor you know, that's implementation is not going to be the snap of a finger. Yeah. Uh, whereas something like adding more than one global admin to your directory, that is a low impact on both users and cost. So really like that. One, one, one funny uh, recommendation in my identity protection as part of identity secure score is uh, user impact is a moderate implementation cost is low and the score impact is quite low, it's only one point, but the recommendation is delete slash block accounts not used in the last 30 days. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say for user impact, if your user account gets deleted, it's not moderate anymore. Yeah, it's not, it's not. And I, I really like that it's fixed on 30 days. I don't know if you can configure that, but I believe that is fixed. That's may, fixed, yes. Yeah, uh, because you know, when I go on vacation, I might go more than 30 days in, in one go, or if you go on parental leave. Yeah. Right? You're gone for a couple of months, and when you get back, I'm sorry, you don't exist in the companies. <laughs> <laughs> you're out of here. Yeah, we, we, we got rid of your, your identity, your, your account, your emails, <laughs> and everything else. Hope, hopefully, it wasn't anything important. Yeah, it's moderate impact only, so yeah, should, should be fine. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty, so I think that's all we had to say about uh, Azure Security Center. So in, in, a, in a way, it's a great service because you click on the service and it gives you clear guidance on, on what you need to do next. And then the implications depend on what you click and, and how you configure your services in relation to ASC. Yeah, yeah I think that pretty much briefs on the essential of Security Center. I'd love to do a, a more deep dive on that, but that would be probably requiring an entire show in its own. Um, but for now, yeah, I think that's it. So then there's one, one part left that I, because I was not here for the previous episode, I wasn't available, but now we're back and, and now it's to finish in the Swedish word of the day. So let's educate the audience on the Finnish word. What is that? All righty, let me start with the Finnish word. So there's a... Uh... There's this um, semi-public office in Finland that always publishes at the end of the year. They publish a list of, of new words that they recognize that people are using and they're contemplating should they be official words as well. Right. So my choice, let me pronounce it first and I'll explain what it means. So my, my choice of the Finnish word is heavy neulonta. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... The first word, it's one word, but actually it's two. So heavy, and the latter is neulonta. Neulonta. And what it means, heavy neulonta means uh, you're knitting while jamming to heavy metal music. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's a great word to know. So 
heavy neulonta. Yes, fluent. So Perfect. whenever I'm at home and I feel, yeah, I need to do something relaxing. I might get my, I don't know what, what the things even are, the, uh, the, the metal spikes when you start knitting. And then I put on <laughs> some pleasant heavy metal music and, and sit on my rocking chair and enjoy life. Yeah, I don't know how pleasant fits into that, but heavy neolonta. Yes. All right. So I'm, I'm going to use that next time uh, the family comes home and I'm listening to some crazy music. I'm just going to say, I'm just heavy neolontaing. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what I'm doing. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All righty. So Swedish. So in, in Swedish, there is something called Sjöget i brevlådan. And what that means is... Um, in Sweden, you don't get caught with the hand in the cookie jar, which is something you hear a lot, like, oh, no, he got stuck with the hand in the cookie jar. You know, you got caught in the action of something. But in Sweden, you get caught with a beard in a mailbox. Obviously. <laughs> yeah, because why not? So, so that's our, you know, uh, word for, for uh, the hand in the cookie jar. That's the getting your beard stuck in the mailbox. And I don't know, it somehow feels more painful. I don't know. So, coming from Finland, uh, the Swedish that we are taught at at school that's that's the uh, that's the movement svenska, and and I understand that your dialect is more close to Skåne. Yeah, uh, so I live in Skåne, which is the furthest south of Sweden. So I I have more in common with my dialect with the Danes than I actually do with the the national Swedish. So I'm looking at the word from the notes now. And how I would probably pronounce it, and this might be totally incorrect, would be a skeget i brevlodan. Yeah, um, it should be skeget. If you if you talk natural Swedish, it would be skeget i brevlodan. Skeget i brevlodan. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. That's, that's too it. hard. So the S and K, <laughs> the S and K is not kind of pronounced at all. But, no, but you they're, have they're just sort of... fillers. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and and we don't have that in Finnish. Finnish is, is it's an analog language, so whatever you see is exactly how you pronounce it. Does. You don't want to complicate things. It's just no, no, no. If no. the letters and, are I, there, you say them. Yeah, and and <laughs> because you pronounce it exactly as you see it, there's no intonation. It's always the same. Right. Yeah. Alrighty. So uh, we are done with Azure Security Center. Thank you for tuning in, and until next time. See you then. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned.